Pickaxe. Hello, my friend. My name's Sean, and I want to end your suffering. No, not like that. With meditation in my new podcast, Mindfulness for Gamers. Each episode, I'll take you through how mindfulness can help you to feel less anxious and frustrated and put you on a path of happiness, all through the lovely, grimy lens of video games. So make time to level up your mental health and take the first step on your spiritual skill tree. Join me and subscribe to Mindfulness for Gamers right here, right now. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Video Game Movies Podcast. Please, if you enjoy the show that we do, subscribe to our RSS feed, or you can do so via Apple Music, Google Music, Podbean, Amazon Music is on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. Amazon Music. Uh, there's all sorts. So feel free, please, to follow us, and uh, if we can get our listeners up, because I believe we're in for. I, I would say a very controversial episode. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I do just want to say, please add a star rating if you can, especially on iTunes, because that really helps us. If we get star ratings, it will start recommending us to people. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. So thank you uh, for anything that you do, but if you can do those for us, that would um, be gangbusters. Do you, do you think we should start this episode, just, just thinking about the film we've just watched, <sighs> do you think we should start this episode with a trigger warning? Yeah, I, well, you're the one who hates Trigger Warning. You didn't like it when I mentioned them in Super Mario Oh, Brothers. yeah, I think they're stupid, but you know what? I've recently, yeah, okay. I've recently come to realise that some people like them, so... When, when you say you've recently come to realise it, is it when you watched this film? <laughs> you watch this film and you realise well, that sometimes it, it's be- they're appropriate. <laughs> it's because I recently started seeing a girl who's an actual human being and not a troll monster like I am. <laughs> Um, and she has opened my eyes to the fact that other people have feelings. Oh, you're cucking. That's what you're doing. Am I? No, I'm joking. My girlfriend would kill me if I if I said hey. any sort of shite like... Hey, Susie, Susie did you hear that? <clears throat> Do you hear that? What? He said it. Rory said that. What, that you're a cuck? He said cooking. Oh, she doesn't care about that term. Oh. She, she, she'd care if I said anything horrible about people, like edgelords say, just for the lols. Um, well, the best comedy is about bullying people. I don't know if it's about bullying people, <laughs> but it's, I, I certainly don't mind comedy that lives on the edge. I just prefer it to her. And I think usually men prefer that sort of banterous humour to women. But that's a different argument for a different type of podcast. Yeah. Basically, completely. that's just my experience. Basically, anyway. this film that we watched that Rory will introduce in a minute oh. uh, is a, I'm going to use the term loosely, comedy, that involves blackfacing. Uh, mm. It involves... The Taliban as central characters. Central comedy characters. A religious cult. Actual Osama Bin Laden. Yep, actual Um, Osama Bin Laden. A whole bunch of sex jokes and a whole bunch of uh, toilet-related type gags. Toilet humour, yes. So if that's not your thing... Um, You forgot... it, like, I mean, uh, that's a nice coverall, but insanely edgelordy jokes. And I don't mean... Oh, they, they could rename this film Edgelord the Movie. It would work, absolutely. Now... Now, when I say edgelordy jokes, I don't mean when somebody says something that's a little bit on the edge and people are like, ooh, that's a bit much. I mean jokes that almost march themselves quite cheerily over that line. Let me sum it up this way. These are the kinds of jokes that, and I'll admit it, I'll be a terrible person, why not? These are the kinds of jokes that, as a teenager, growing up in Mansfield, which is not, let's say, 
the most educated place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the sorts of jokes I would have found funny as a teenager. But these jokes are being told by a man who's clearly in at least his 40s when yep. he's making this oh, film. Because yeah, he's in it, so you can see he's in his um, 40s. And it's not funny when you're... Like, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't make jokes like this now because I've matured as a human being. Obviously, he had not. Now... Let, let's say who the man is, first of all. We're talking Uwe Boll. And we know you know what the film is, because when you click on this, it gives you the, na- the name of the episode is the name of the film. Oh, yeah. We're why, talking was I, why, was I try, why was I trying to build up we're, suspense? I don't know. We, tr- we always try and do this. So let's keep it mystical. Let's try and... But actually, they must have seen what it is by the name. So we're talking Uwe Boll, and we're talking the film Postal, his 2007 comedy, uh, in quotation marks. And now, I'm going to add a couple of things before we start talking about the film itself. Uwe Boll considers this film to be his most important movie. Now, I don't say his best movie, because that's not his phrasing. It's his most important movie. That means that in some way he feels that there is... He was saying something. He's saying something, there's some social, political, or social cultural value. Well, he had that cliché speech at the end. He had the cliché speech, and he did have Osama Bin Laden and George Bush... As friends. As friends. More than friends by the fact that he took quotes from Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Um, so <laughs> let's. It's, it's, I forgot they quoted Brokeback Mountain for, in the movie. Osama bin Laden says, "I wish I could quit you to George W. Bush." That will give you a taste. That's not the worst that this film has to offer by a long margin, but it give you a taste oh. of just how far over the edge. Can I tell them about the opening? Yes, I'll let you read the... I've got it written down here, so, but if you want... If, yeah, if you want to read it, or you can just fade, go by your own memory. Fade up. There are two... <laughs> Don't make this sound more fucking cinematic than it was. Fade up. Come fade up. We're in the cockpit of a Boeing 747. I don't right? hear it even. Oh, I hate it. I'm hiding behind the curtain. The plane... <laughs> the plane is being driven by two... Arabic men, okay, who are arguing over how many virgins they're going to get. Now, we're not told explicitly why they think they're going to get virgins, but pop culture, you know, we all know. Um, And they can't agree on how many it is. One thinks it's 100, one thinks it's 99. Mm. So they then ring Osama Bin Laden on the telephone. On the mobile phone. And they ask him how many virgins they're going to get. And Osama's being real stingy and tells them... uh, He he can only guarantee 20. Yeah, can't guarantee more than 20. So the two two, uh, Arabic men put the phone down and they ponder their life's journey momentarily before deciding 20 virgins isn't worth it. So uh, they're going to take this plane that they've clearly hijacked mm-hmm. to the Bahamas. Yep. At that moment, the passengers break through the door and attack them. Cut to a pleasant, gentle day where a window cleaner is cleaning the windows of a familiar tall building to anyone who's as old as we are. As a huge CGI plane drops into the background <laughs> and ploughs into the World Trade Center. And that is the opening of Uwe Boll's Postal. Now, can I just say this? Anyone who thinks that, oh, that's a bit much, 
that still isn't the worst that this film has to offer. I, I have to say, I'm actually at the set, you know, separate from this podcast. At the moment, I'm actually watching the new 9/11 documentary on Netflix. The series was it? Was this series accurate? Was no, this- mate, I have to say that I'm not. I'm not someone who usually says all that crossed a line, all that went too far, or anything like that. Because as I said before, I'm a troll person. I've seen you under the bridges. Yeah, well, I like to eat children and collect money from people. But having watched that documentary, I'm only two episodes in so far, and then watching how flippantly this happened in this film, honestly, I've got to say, yeah, this crosses a line. This is offensive. I'm going to add to that slightly. According to IMDb, in early 2007, the New York Post showed a seven-second clip, which is... The window cleaning segment. The guy cleaning the window, the plane coming in and blowing up the Twin Towers. Yeah, so just so the audience know, the camera is within the building. Facing out. So facing out. So the window cleaner's facing the camera, Mm. and over his left shoulder there's all this open sky and the crappy cgi plane you see the cgi plane approaching and it, i mean it's it's done like isn't this funny because the guy's sitting there wiping <laughs> as he's I wiping down it's like eyes. it's like that scene in the amazing spider-man where stan lee's listening to music and the lizard and spider-man are destroying the room behind him right but he's just bobbing his head to the music because he can't hear them <laughs> it's literally that level of garbage yeah and uh, i mean it should be that level of comedy except for because of what he's chosen as the subject material mm. it, re- it doesn't play that way no. <clears throat> now as i say new york post showed that seven second clip to 9-11 victims' families. So the families of those who died at 9-11. Now, the families all found it tasteless. Now, I'm going to read this as it was written on IMDb, and then we can agree or disagree as to whether or not the scene has merit even afterwards. I think you could probably agree it won't. Right. <clears throat> on IMDb, it says, But the clip was shown out of context. Uwe Boll said the New York Post's actions were more tasteless than any of my movies could ever be and took it as a personal attack. Now, the reason that they said that, actually they did divulge a bit more on IMDb, the reason that it's out of context is because the joke, that bit of them running into the Twin Towers, is the payoff Mm. of the joke, which is that they were going to turn around and go to the Bahamas until the Americans bursted in to try and save themselves yeah. and ended up there, there causing go, their the own Americans death. cause 9-11. Yes. Uh, so, and that's the joke. So the bombing of the Twin Towers is the punchline, not the joke in and of itself. With that in mind, do, do you think that Uwe Boll is correct there? That, you know, taken, it's taken out of context. The New York Post were being unfair... And doing it only as a personal attack. So don't get me wrong, newspapers take a lot of things out of context. Absolutely. But there is no context you could put this in that would make it any better. Yep. Even if you'd have shown everyone the entire film... It still doesn't work. No, and, and spoiler alert, has literally nothing to do with, to do the, with the rest of the plot. This scene does not need to be here. All it really does is set up the fact that the Taliban are doing Taliban terrorism. Because yeah. the Taliban are in the rest of the film, yeah. but, but this terrori- particular attack is not. But by 2007, terrorism was such a dominant thing in the news and in the popular psyche yep. that you didn't need that. You could literally just go, you could literally just say, these are terrorists. 
this is the Taliban. Yep. People know what you mean. People don't need to... People wouldn't have sat there going, Taliban? Who's the Taliban? Oh, yeah, they did 9-11. <laughs> it's not as if 9-11 is a little-known thing. It's like if, if, it's like if you ever met someone who goes, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what the concentration camps are. I don't know what you're talking about. Oof. You know? And, oh, my God, I can't believe I even mentioned that, and not even in relevance to this film. We'll get to that later. Concentration caps and the, the up, slaughter again. of the Jews come up later on in this. Bo Vobol himself and his character. So, his character, which is himself in the film. Well, sh- should we be clear, before we move on, should we be clear that neither of us have actually played the game, Postal? I don't think that makes much difference to no. the, how tense I, this is going to be. No, I, ju- I just want to be honest but, yeah, with the no, audience. I'll agree. I have never played either... Because when Postal came out, it was about 2002, 2003... And it was only on PC. And I've never played PC games. So because it wasn't on a console, I never got around to playing it. I only heard second-hand or third-hand information about it, which wasn't yeah. particularly accurate, probably, so and it's I've, quite out of date. I did a quick read mm-hmm. on, on, on the Pedia. Yep. And uh, this film is apparently mostly based on Postal 2. Right. So I read the plot summary for Postal 2. Um, it doesn't sound like any of this happens. So basically... What, the it, 9-11 angle? And well, it that. sounds like there's not much of a story anyway. Right. It sounds like, basically, you play as a character who goes through five days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and at the start of each day, you're given a set number of mundane tasks to do, like go pick up your laundry, uh, visit grandma, things like that. And it is completely the player's choice... As to if you bother to do the tasks, if you do the tasks peacefully, or if you just grab a gun and start mowing folks down. So it makes it the player's choice as to whether or not you go postal and start yeah. killing people. Now you that, can choose not to. I'll admit, that can actually be interesting, because one thing I, do, I will give them this, the tagline for Postal 2, being on Postal 1 caused huge controversy. The first game, yeah. yeah. We're talking about the game specifically. Yeah, the game. Yeah. The game Postal 2, the tagline on it was, it's as violent as you want it to be. Right. Which I will admit is a good tagline. There's some merit to that. Yeah. Because actually, that is like holding a mirror up to people and going, What's wrong with you? You were the one who chose to go violent. Yeah. Yeah. The film has none of that because obviously, film's a different medium. You're not in control in the film. So the violence happens because. But it does reference a man going postal. Yeah. It basically doesn't sound to me like this was a good idea for a film to adapt anyway. He's just cashing in on the title a few key references like the name of the city being. And then throwing in 9 11 and the Taliban on top of it. And then making a quote unquote comedy. Yeah. So okay, so we've 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 done the intro. It's thirteen, fourteen minutes in, and we've only done oh, the intro. But baby, my this, god, this is going to be a long one. It's a car crash. So um, we open after that point. We go to a trailer park, and our lead. Now the lead never has a name. Later on, he's referenced as the postal guy, but he doesn't we, have a name. So I'm just going to call him the lead uh, or postal apparent, guy. Apparently, that is game game accurate. He's just called postal dude. Right. Okay. And he's living in a trailer in a trailer park. With his incredibly obese wife. Who is um, only called The Bitch. She yes, has no name. And that is actually her name in, in the credits. credits and on IMDb. She doesn't have a name, she's just The Bitch. And she is sleeping with basically everybody behind his back. Mm. As he leaves his trailer, he has a run-in with the neighbour, uh, who's this really horrible-looking skinny guy with gnarly, horrible... Discoloured teeth. Real hillbilly looking. Yeah. Who complains about the fact that they're shagging so much that the trailer's rocking and he can't sleep at night. And he goes, well, that joke's on you. I wasn't home last night. 
And that's obviously the first giveaway that she's cheating on him. He then goes to a job interview in a company called Glutco. The largest glut producer in America. Yep. What is glut? No idea. Um, I, I, unless it's something to do with gluttony. It doesn't sound it pleasant, doesn't, does no. it? No. But either way, he it, the job interview is basically a car crash. They've written it in such a way that when he tries to think of an answer or give one of those standard answers when someone goes, what's your strongest trait? And he says, my strongest trait is teamwork. And they're like, wrong, and just continue typing. But because he eventually what's gets... What's your biggest weakness? I work too hard. I've got to admit, I'm sorry, I've got to say this. So in my day-to-day job, I hire people. Look, I do a lot of interviewing. And I've got to admit, people, are, not that anyone's listening to this, but who will end up being interviewed by me. But uh, just so you know, employers fucking hate it when we ask you what your biggest weakness is and you give us a bullshit answer like, oh, I work too hard. No, we we genuinely want to know what your weakness is. The truth is, when I go for an interview, I don't get it because I tell them the truth. I'm just too perfect. Of course. And they just find, they think I'm lying, but they they never hire me to find out just how perfect I am. I think Uber would disagree. (laughs) Uber is perfect, according to his own stupid mind. Anyway, so he goes to Glutco, he goes for this job interview, because he almost goes postal by the end of the interview and basically tells them to go stick it up their ass because the questions are ridiculous. They then decide they're probably going to hire him, but it's not a definite hire. But they want him to go onto the work floor and sing the the company's anthem. Yeah, none of this was relevant to the plot, was No, it? none of this, this is goes, all just filler. I think it's just meant to be something else that annoys him to the point of going postal, but can it, it doesn't really... Yeah, you're right, it doesn't contribute to the plot. Can we get to the most shocking part of this film? In a minute. Well, I'll just, I'll just give a brief rundown of... Because the intro introduces some of the key characters. Right, sorry, I thought this was the next thing that happened, but go ahead. What, the religious cult? No. No. No, no, not yet. No, oh, okay. I'll, let I'll, me know when we get. Don't there. worry. I've I've got him here, so um, I'll bring him in in a sec. So yeah, we then introduced to a religious cult. Turns out that the lead uncle is the guy running the cult, full of hippies, and he but he's sleeping with a harem of girls. It's typical cult behaviour. It's very yeah, David yeah, yeah. Koresh type um, thing. And he, can, can I give Uva some rare praise here? Yeah. So there's you know if you must lots of sexy naked women. In this scene, yeah, full, you know, breasts out, and I'm a man. I appreciate that, but I hear you, girls. Serving me, anyone who listened to my other podcast, Jamie, your film taste sucks, will know that I'm an equal opportunity eye candy person. And God bless Uva Ball. Not only does he make those sweet girls take their tops off, there's full frontal dickage for you ladies as well. A very small, stubby penis. Uh, well, it's soft. It's not hard. <laughs> yeah, no. Fair um, but I mean, yeah. I, I, here's the thing. Did I? Did I mean? I would say we didn't need to see as much nudity of the girls as we did. We certainly didn't need to see the man junk. And we didn't need any of it. No, but we don't need this movie okay, to exist. But also, you say it's an equal opportunities thing. But the girls' nakedness and bodies are shown off as an attractive quality. Yeah. The man's body is definitely not shown off in that regard. Certainly because it, it not only it, you know he. Uh, the girls leave. He gets up. He's wang is out. Then he goes for a and shit. then he goes for a, a shit that his accomplice is showing is the most vile smelling thing. And you've got the most stereotypical pooing sound effects. And he does not wipe. And he does way. not wipe. He just goes straight back to bed. Should we, um, should we tell them who plays his accomplice? Yes, please do. His accomplice is played by I've actually forgot. Oh no, I remember the actor's name. His name is Chris Coppola. That's it, Chris Coppola, nephew, nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. And brother 
of Mr. Nicolas Cage. And he has a slight Nicolas Cagey look, but he's much bigger. Imagine Nicolas Cage if he, like, gained £500. Yes, and, um, and was an how ev- to act. And was an even worse actor. Oh, he's the worst actor in this, by a long margin, this guy, isn't he? Oh, he's awful. He's, like, he's overacting um, all over the place. Bear in mind, most actors... It, do you know what? Fair play to him, I'll give him this. Most actors in this are completely forgettable. He's, he's not. Te- he's terrible, but I'll remember him. Yeah, no, that's true enough. Then we are introduced to a couple of cops. There's one German cop that we don't really remember much of, but there's a black cop who is kind of one of the main characters. And he notices that there's an Asian lady pulled up to an intersection where the lights have now turned green, and she's not going anywhere. So he gets out of the police car to try and tell her to move along. He, she's talking in Chinese and he can't understand her. So he pulls out a shotgun and blasts her through the head about 17 times. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets back to the German cop in the truck, he goes, oh, I heard something. Did something happen? He says, yeah, she called me the N-word. Now, we listen to that. And it immediately cuts. To a different scene. He's barely finished the word. Yeah. And it's a really awkward cut. Yeah. So, and he says the full word. He doesn't say the N-word. He says, she called me mm, and says it. We uh, can't say it. <laughs> of, well, two white guys. We're, we're not going to get away with saying that even in the context of the film. Uh, but yeah, so he says the full word and it just cuts awkwardly. But the thing is, is, this is never brought up again or questioned. It is raised one more time when he blames the postal guy for her death mm. later on in the film randomly. But that's about it. No one seems to question the fact that a cop has just blown someone's head Broad off. Broad daylight. Broad daylight. The street. And there's loads of cars behind her. Yeah. So yeah, just... Oh. oh, here we go. So we're nearly getting towards your favourite man, but we're not quite there yet because we had an appearance by another couple of dudes, older men, sitting outside oh. a cafe. A traditional setup for a comedy, a Jewish comedy duo that they do in these sort of movies. They did it in um, Coming to America and things like that, where you have like the older Jewish guys telling jokes. Well, the, the, I don't know if they're actually Jewish. They probably are, but there's two, the two white old men outside the cafe who observe things and make jokes. Yeah, and I put jokes... No- they have no function in the plot. They do nothing. They're just there to make these crude jokes. Yes. And it's it's got to... This line has got to go... Do you wish to not? say the line? May I say the you line? You may say the line. Now, just before you say it, remember that from Super Mario Brothers and Stay Alive, we stated that there are certain lines in films that are so bad that they will probably go down in our... We're making a catalogue... A hall of, of fame of terrible lines. Yes, and I think Which this, we, should, we should write those down somewhere so we don't I've got them, them. I've got them. Don't worry, they're in the Good. spreadsheet. Add I'll, these ones on. I'm going to add that, yeah. So there's this one is definitely going on. Jamie, the floor is yours. So an attractive lady in a short skirt walks past this man who's clearly in his 70s at least, who looks, you know, ogles this attractive woman, we've all been there, turns back to his friend and says... One night with me, she'll look like she was hit by the mayonnaise truck. The mayonnaise truck, Rory! Get it? Get it? The mayonnaise is his cum. Get it? I think, I get think, it? I think everyone got it. The problem is, there he's is no seven- such thing as a mayonnaise truck. True. Also, he's a 70-year-old man. Is he oh, able to that guy deliver the mayonnaise without um, I don't, no, I don't, uh, pharmaceutical I, help? I don't know. I don't frankly care. The actor himself was in Blazing Saddles. He was the mayor of the town. Blow it out your ass, Howard. If anyone has watched Blazing Saddles, which I know my partner Susie will have done, 
it's going to be a line that people remember that guy. Go, oh, he was quite funny. And then they're going to see him in this and realise that age has not been kind. One night with me and sure oh. looked like she was well, by the <laughs> Hold on to your rats because he has at least two, one or two more other lines <sighs> in similar fashion. Now, the lead comes home and the gross neighbour who's complaining about the noise is now sleeping with his wife while pouring flour dough on her belly. Yeah. Uh, that's never explained. It just seems to be that he's treating her like... A like dead, yeah, yeah. I suppose. Before the lead leaves, he looks at a wedding photo of when him and the wife were happy, and she was slimmer. Oh, this was one of the worst props yeah. ever. Now, I think it might actually be a legit photo of that actress's wedding day when she was younger and slimmer. Yeah, but obviously, the bloke who married her was not the lead guy so they've taken a photo of this guy and literally just cut it out with a pair of scissors and blue tacked it on but it's such a mismatch it's glaringly obvious it's not there there is no photoshop job here it's not even that bad that you go that's a bad photoshop it's a bad cutting out and blue tacking it's awful the harem orgies are no no better than softcore porn is an art i made here as well because they they happen a few times quite a few times in fact Bin Laden finally makes his first appearance on screen on Taliban TV. And Taliban TV is being filmed and recorded. It's meant to look like it's in a cave in Afghanistan, but it turns out he's under he's in the back room of a corner shop in mm. the lead guy's main town. The lead then goes Paradise and, City. That's it, Paradise City. The lead then goes and joins the cult. And once he leaves the cult, he goes back to that corner shop. And this is where you're going to be able to talk about your guy. There's a guy outside preaching mm. about the end of days and well, he's, he's uh, the American way of life. Yes. Trying to get elected. That's it. So, so would you like to explain who this man is? This is the man that Jamie wanted to explain a little bit earlier. This was genuinely the most shocking part of the film for me. And I, I imagine that for this actor, this is the most embarrassing thing on his resume. I would hope. Ladies and gentlemen... J.K. Simmons is in this movie. The man from Whiplash. J. Jonah James. This is post. The thing is, this isn't even in Before He Was Famous. This, this is after, after J. Jonah Jameson. Yep, after he was in Spider-Man. After his, I don't know what Who, he did this for. E- either A, what kind of money did they offer him? Yep. Or B... What dirt does Uwe Boll have on him, and how did he blackmail him? It does make me wonder, because there's... I mean, we'll come to some of, uh, one, one or two of the other celebrities in this in a minute, and, like, you do wonder, like, either he had a truckload of cash just to dump at their door, or he has something on them. Well, and it makes me wonder if Uwe Boll is actually... Uh, no, I can't say that. It's well, been, is, is, this the point litigious. Where, is this the point where we should explain to the audience, and this might be litigious, but I'm sure it's confirmed. So just in case you guys don't know, because you're maybe not as big film nerds as we are, you might wonder how someone with a reputation as bad as Uwe Boll, whose films don't make big money, how and, he all, keeps, and are definitely not critical successes. Yeah, you might wonder how he kept getting work. Well, my friends, that's because up until about the late noughties or early I think 2010s, it was about 2009 it chipped off and the last right. few of his movies trickled out up to right. 2011. Um, up until then, Uwe Boll's entire filmography was funded by exploiting a tax loophole in the German tax system. Yes, Literally, that's not a joke. That's not a slander. That's how him. he got his money. That is a confirmed fact yep. that he was exploiting tax loopholes in the German system. System. So when they closed that loophole in two thousand nine, he obviously had a few 
things that went through after that point um but that were probably in pre or post production with the money already found but after 2011 these movies kind of trickled out to now because the money dried up mm. he did try and make a sequel to Postal, Postal 2, as a movie in 2013. Mm. But in order to get the money, he decided he would Kickstarter it because obviously people are going to want to fund. It worked for Veronica Mars. As, and the, if you think about it, this is the most, as, as Uwe Boll said, this is the most important film on his resume, mm. the most important film he's ever made. So because of that, you'd think people would want to fund it. It got almost no money, so he had to cancel it. So no right, one was so. interested in funding it directly because uh, uh, that just proves that Uwe Boll can't raise money without exploiting the tax system. Anyway, that's our slagging off of Uwe Boll for that. So J.K. Simmons is outside preaching about the American way of life uh, to try and get elected. Because it's annoying the Taliban out the back, one Taliban guy walks out with a bomb strapped to him, hugs J.K. Simmons and blows himself up. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, J.K. Simmons. Well, not 100%, weirdly, because he blows up, the blood splatters up on the window, Mm. and then when the main guy turns around to look out the window, eventually it's like, oh, my God, what's happened? looks. J.K. Simmons is there, painted with black bits where, like, he's been scorched, and blood, and gives a thumbs up at the window as he slides down. And that's the end of J.K. Simmons' entire role in this Mm. film. Um, He's lucky that wasn't the end of his career. I mean, anyone is lucky that this isn't the end of their career, because, I mean, I think it's probably been the end of some of their careers. But, Jesus. So, he has to steal a van, a postal van, that is full of these testicle toys... They're, they are no, no, toys. no, they need to steal the postal van so they can steal the testicle toys yeah. from a carnival called Little Germany. Yeah. So if I remember, I think I figured this out right thanks to some of the exposition halfway through. Yep. The main guy is related somehow to the leader of the cult. I think so the cult's, his brother. No, no, the cult leader is his uncle. Is his uncle. Yeah. The cult is in financial trouble with the IRS. Yep. Tax so loopholes and stuff where they've. Yeah, so they're planning to steal these cuddly toys shaped like cock and balls yep called crotchy toys yep that are part of Uwe Boll who's in the film himself yep they're part of his new movie yep and they're gonna sell really well but apparently due to um I think a shipment's gone missing or something so only this one shipment has made it to America meaning the toys have doubled in value yes so they want to steal the things to pay off all their tax debts we should quickly point out as well that the toys have a string where when you pull them they're voiced by Vern Troyer Oh, they're actually voiced by Van Troyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Uwe Boll's movie within the movie. Yes. And he plays that character. And when you pull the string, it says something along the lines of, only my barber and my priest touch me here. Oh, there it is, yeah. Only my barber and my priest touch me there. That's the line that happens when you pull the string. Because, you know, Catholic priest jokes didn't go out of fashion. Or barbers? You know, 15 years ago. Only my barber... I'm guessing... Because they're trimming the pubes. Oh! Uh, Mate, it's 2021. You've got to be shaved, my friend. Well, as few as wires for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> There's... <laughs> J.K. Simmons dies, and then in order to steal this post van, the lead... I don't know how he gets hold of this disabled man and it seems he's he's literally just on the street so when I say disabled man it seems to be a man who well it's later mentioned in the credit sequences what's happened to this guy is that he got flung off of his bicycle 
Hit his head. Yeah, hit his head and broke his neck. And now he's kind of in a semi-comatose vegetative state. Yeah, he's, state. he's basically a vegetable, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And he's in this mobility scooter. So the lead guy pushes the mobility scooter over to this fence that he needs to climb. Climbs on the disabled guy, treads on his head. Teabags him on the way up. Teabags him on the way up and then manages to hop over this fence. Mm. When he gets into the post van... He has to duck out of view for a second because the black cop comes along, notices the disabled guy, who's called Harry, we find out. And well done you, remembering a character name. I wrote it down later on. Um, but yeah, finds Harry, knows Harry, steals Harry's money, mm. and takes Harry back to his garage, his own garage, not Harry's yeah. garage, to his own garage to put a feeding tube in him and leave him there for a few days. With, yeah, with a rug over his face. Yeah. But um, we, we learn in that same post credit sequence that it was... Basically, Harry was on a bicycle, hit the black cop's dog, injured himself, and the black cop just kind of took it upon himself to then take ownership of Harry and use him to scam money from people. Yeah, so he, the guy said, why didn't you take Harry to the hospital? No, it's not that. I took my dog to the hospital and I put Harry in my garage. Yeah. And then three days later, he was still alive. So then we became Business business, business partners, basically. Such a weird... Yeah, takes his money and then feeds him his own garage. Oh, yeah, there's one of the chicks from the harem mm. says apostle wrong. Yeah, she says apostle. Yeah, because obviously it's written as apostle. Well, as I said to you, she is young and beautiful and therefore does not need to be smart. Her career is uh, <laughs> her career is doing just fine until is she it? gets old. She's in postal. But, I mean, she's still getting jobs because she couldn't act Does either. it classify as a job? She got paid. Did she She's though? Well, I, I don't know. I hope so. Well, I, that's the thing. I I couldn't trust that Uvo Bowl pays people. <laughs> true. <laughs> I'm true. sure he's pocketing most of that. We can rip off money himself. I have no. I have actually no basis to say that. I just hate Uvo Bowl. Slander. Yeah, slander. Sue me, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, sue him, not me. Okay. So, my name is Jamie Evans. God damn it. <laughs> Um, so, Taliban and the cult are both going to attack the Little Germany event. For some reason, the Taliban have decided that they can't afford to commit suicide anymore because people will only die for virgins, not for money or anything else. Mm. So they decide what they're going to do is attack with guns, like a standard terrorist sort of thing, I suppose. Uh, and they and want not the crotchy themselves. dolls. And they want the crotchy dolls. But we to don't know money. why at this point. It, yeah, it's never explained why until later. Osama bin Laden takes a call from George Bush. Nothing important happens there. It's just to just establish that, that they're, they're friends. connected and mates. So, should we explain what this Little Germany Festival is? In a minute, because I'm just going to do one more thing, actually, and then we'll explain okay. the Little Germany Festival, because that's when we reach there. Out of the blue, Vern Troyer appears in the film. Yep. He's booted out of a car on his way to be sort of the, the celebrity yeah, at, at the Little Germany Festival. And he's left at the side of the road and has to make his own way there. We then see him later at the Little Germany Festival, but we'll come to that in a minute. So, we now enter the Little Germany Festival. Jamie, why don't you explain that festival? So, what the Little Germany Festival is, is it's exactly what you'd expect. It's kind of an Oktoberfest type situation, where there's lots of beer flowing and there's pretty women in lederhosen and things like that. And a bit like Chinatown has sort of Chinese aesthetics around Mm. all of their buildings, the buildings in in Little Germany are very, like, old school, traditional like medieval German huts and like yeah. housing. And the guests of honour at this festival are Uwe Boll playing himself, yep. described as a hit filmmaker we'll in his own that. movie, we'll and of that. course Vern Troyer. But before we get to them and what they say, let's let's talk about 
two of the features of this festival. Yes. Which are Dr. Mengele's Healthcare Centre. Yep. Uh, for those who don't know, Yosef Mengele, a.k.a. the Angel of Death, was a real-world Nazi... <clears throat> Yep. who worked at Auschwitz and did horrific experiments on people. I am talking, like, saw-level crap. So like, all of, stitching yeah. people together, well, he chopping did that with people's twins. legs off. So he was, he was legitimately the doctor there mm. as well. So I'll add that. I'm not trying to defend Megler, by the way. But he was the legit doctor for yeah. the, the Jewish interns at that concentration camp. So he was meant to be healing them and things like that. Yeah. But obviously that came with its limitations based on the way that they were treated in yeah. general. But yeah, he was obsessed with twins. Yeah. He's like, infamously obsessed with twins. So he would stitch them together or he would cut bits off and put it on the other person to see if it would continue to grow. Yeah. He would do all these sort of sick experiments. He, he he has always stated, Mengler, that he was innocent of those things and that he couldn't have done them yeah. because he was, he was legit just trying to help as many people as possible. Though it seems unlikely based on the evidence that's there. Yeah, I, I actually listened to a... Because I'm quite into true crime and stuff sure. like that, and I listened to a two-part podcast on... Um, there's a great podcast called Medical Murders, yep. and they did a two-part episode on Josef Mengele. And, yeah, he claims he's innocent, but, my God, the evidence against him is unspeakable. I mean, let's um, be honest, if he had done it, of course he would say he didn't. Of course he would, because <laughs> he was a monster. Yeah. So, I mean, and the thing is, the idea that Josef Mengele is innocent is quite popular with a very far right-wing crowd. Yeah. So it may not have been Uwe Boll's intent, but it certainly there is a lot of Nazi wrong. stuff in here. There is indeed. So, so yeah, the, to the that. canteen at this place it's called concentration it's camp. It's called the Playground. concentration camp. It's a concentration camp playground. Oh, playground! I thought it's, that was the no, no, the playground is the concentration camp. right? Because um, of course then, that's better. When they finally start talking to Uva, you know, hit filmmaker that he is, he literally so says, the, "The guy says, so Mr. Boll, you're renowned for turning video games into hit movies.'" Mm. He says there are rumours that my movies that my movies are funded by Nazi gold, and it's true. And in the ex- so you get an extended part of this sequence at the end of the film. Yep. If if you can make it through the credits without gouging your own eyeballs out, there's an extended part of this scene, and I'm going to repeat this joke, and it's the darkest joke you're ever going to hear on this podcast. Oh, I don't think it is. We've got a few other contenders just in this episode. So. A woman runs to the front of the stage and, quite rightly, yells at Uwe Boll about oh, okay. being insensitive. No, you're right. Sorry, and I says, my, gonna... <laughs> my granddad died in Auschwitz. To which Uwe goes, oh, yes, you know, so, so did my granddad. He, he also died in Auschwitz. And this, you know, stops the old lady in her tracks because she's like, oh, um, oh I didn't there's know that. Jewish heritage, to which Uwe Boll then adds, yes, he fell from a watchtower. No, no. Oh, my God, it is it is very very I, painful to watch. Through the, I feel bad because honestly, as a teenager, I'd have found that hilarious. Well, I mean, I would have laughed my ass off at that, and I realised that that was a stupid thing to do. It's an edge lordy thing to do. I think, and I have matured su- as an adult. No, I think what it is 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 the surprise of the joke. It's shock humour. Yeah, but the actual content of the joke. Leaves a bad taste. Had he done a similar sort of joke, but not quite as, not quite as brazenly bullshittery as it's, that, it's two. it would have worked in fine. One, in one film, there are two separate references where the man he wrote and directed this, he wrote and directed where it. he literally says, "Yes, I'm a Nazi." Now I don't know if that's 
him being funny because I get I don't know he doesn't I, seem like a comedian though, I does was, he? well he clearly thinks he is oh. but I, I wasn't aware that well, is there a lot of people on the internet who have accused him of being a Nazi in the past I've not seen those but it, I mean because I could get that you know if, he, if that was a thing that he kept getting accused get of I mean the accidental racism as I put it mm. before like uh, we've not discussed any bold films on here before but I've only seen two bold, fi- no, three bold films prior to this, and they all had what I thought were accidental racist moments. So Blood Rain, and we can come to those when we get to them. But Blood Rain Two had one where there's a black guy getting lynched in the Midwest, and they drag him out of the light. So when he's begging for his life, you can only see the whites of his eyes and teeth. And it's a really bad look. And you're like, okay, well, that's just bad cinematography. As bad as it looks, you kind of classify that as an accident. Then in Alone in the Dark, at the beginning, you have the main protagonists, the male... Christian Slater. Yeah, and the... Yeah, and they're both white, having sex to Seven Seconds by Yasu Endor, which is a song about race oppression and that you shouldn't judge people based on the colour of their skin. Oh, really? Yeah, while two white people are knocking boots... Then even if you took, you shouldn't do, but even if you took the meaning of seven seconds out of that song, it's called Seven Seconds. So even in itself, it doesn't work not as a... Not a good sex song. No, it's like two pump jump done. You know, mm. it's like, that's that's not a good song for that moment. And certainly when you take the context of what the song is about, awful. So he, he seemed to do this quite a lot. But in Postal, I think the pretense of that, you know, that potentially being an accident, I think that might be his humour. Mm. You know, oh, we can make it, oh, and imagine if you couldn't see the black guy's face. Oh, imagine if we put, a, you know, a song yeah. about black people to two white guys fucking. That's so funny. I move very well. I'm super clever. I think because when you watch this film, it's essentially that style of humour front to back. And, like, for example, so in this sequence, while we've got Uwe Boll saying that he got his money from Nazi gold and that his granddad died at a watchtower in Auschwitz, you've, and with Dr. Mengler's health centre there, the cult have put small square patches of black tape on the middle of their lips mm-hmm. as Hitler moustaches, and the girls have swastika armbands. Also, these and girls... And no one blacked an eyelid. Bear in mind that Germany hate any reference to the Nazis, yeah. because obviously it's a, it's a traumatic part of their history. Also, the, we should point out that these girls are all, you know, stunningly gorgeous, blonde-haired, blue eyes, very, you know, yeah. Aryan, dare I say the word, um, women, who literally from this point in the film onwards will be wearing essentially bras and miniskirts. Yes. Like, they do not put any more clothes on, do they? Like, no, no. this is it now for the rest of the film. No, in fact, they take some off because they take off the moustache, I think, later on. They, well, yeah, thank That's... God. Um, <laughs> thank God. I fe- I fe- That's I fe- a challenging I fe- wank. I, I felt... <laughs> I felt bad about enjoying their uh, nakedness. Mm, imagine when hot they, Hitler. <laughs> oh no, Hotler. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, we can't criticise Uwe Boll when we're sat here making Hotler jokes. I have to say, Hotler is nowhere near as bad as half these fucking jokes he's made. Somehow, Hotler is now acceptable. It's one of those things when something gets so bad. Yeah. It suddenly anything that was bad before seems somewhat neutral. To, to be fair, it's a it's a tough one and I don't fully know how I feel about it because I've always been someone who believes that laughing in the face of something terrible is a very human thing to do and that it takes the power away from what about the that fact that thing? there's a Hitler costume but, that's designed like one of the Disney costumes at Disneyland is that a comment on the fact that Disney himself Walt Disney Why was a Nazi this? sympathizer oh it could be 
I mean, I don't think so. I don't think Uwe Boll's that smart, but I think yeah. it's just he thought it would be funny, and he yeah. wastes money on this film like nobody's business. So, oh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get we there. will get there, $45,000. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, yeah, the creator of Postal was in this film. Yeah. So he attacks Al- Uwe Boll on stage so for Al- making a crap film of his, of his game. Yeah, so this film, which is the film adaptation of Postal... Somehow in this universe... That film's already been that made. That film has already been made, even though we're living through that film now. And the director of the game has seen it and doesn't like it. Yep, and attacks Uwe Boll on stage for making a crap film. Yeah. like Despite the fact that earlier on someone says he turns video games into hit movies. Hit. Just, just let that resonate, people. Well, Hit movies. Well, in this hit movie... Uh, Vernon Troyer, <laughs> Vern Troyer arrives on the back of a pickup truck, and then when uh, everything goes to hell and people start shooting each other, Vern Troyer is locked in a suitcase, his own golden yeah. suitcase. So now he's spending half the film inside of a suitcase, a midget in a suitcase, sort of. That's yeah. the joke. I don't mean to say it like that, but... I, that is the, yeah, that's the, the joke. joke. The joke that's, is midget in a suitcase. Um, the lead shoves a gun up a cat's bum and shoots a cal- Taliban through the cat, so the, the pistol is up the is cat's bum. Is that this bit? Yeah, so just afterwards, yeah, after after they've had the shootout, they go back to the Colts base and the Taliban are there. So he yeah. shoves... So because the Taliban... So at this point, the cult have got the crotchy dolls yep. and the Taliban chase them back to their headquarters. Yes, and while they're there, he gets this cat because there's a Taliban asleep on the bed. He gets this cat, why this would be quieter, I don't know, shoves the pistol up the cat's bum, points the cat and the pistol thus at the Taliban and shoots through the cat's mouth and kills the Taliban. He then pops it out the cat and the cat goes on its merry way. The cat's fine. But you know, he's just shot a red-hot bullet through, through its it. guts. And, I have, and let's talk about the waste here. Yes. This animatronic cat is awful. Is on screen for literally two seconds. seconds. And it cost how much? Let's, let's play the prices right. Rory, to win today's prize, which is a trip to Barbados, and no, I should have said Jennifer, I was being properly humorous, it's a trip to Germany. Why couldn't it be the Bahamas where the Taliban wanted true, to come? True, true, true. <laughs> a trip to Germany, to Berlin. Assuming you don't get COVID. How much would you say that this two-second screen appearance of an animatronic kitty cost? Well, I know the answer. Should I just say the answer? Yeah, yeah, it's just a silly bit. Sure. $45,000. They've, they've already turned off. Yeah. No one's listening at this point. $45,000. For two seconds of and footage. And here's the thing about that animatronic. I swear it would have looked no worse if they bought like a $2 cat toy and put the gun through that. Because yeah. the animatronic was awful. And it was forty-five grand of waste. Absolutely pointless. Hey, hey, you've got to spend the hard-working people of Germany's tax money somehow. Absolutely. You don't want to keep any of it, would you? No. Uh, <laughs> so, Nick Cage Jr. <laughs> oh, my God, this is the best bit in the yep. film. He reveals that the reason that they needed to steal the cock dolls is to fill them with No, 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 that's the wrong bit. You're wrong. No? Yes. No, that's not what Nick Cage does. No, no, because the Taliban announced that they so the want to Tal- add bird flu to them. Yeah, so the but Taliban then, do this. But Nick Cage's guy... So the Taliban wanted to just poison America with bird flu. Yes, there you go. Nick Cage so, wanted to, it has expanded it to make it a global... Let's pandemic. slow our rolls for a second. No! Because this is, this is in a movie that's got Nazis, Al-Qaeda, <laughs> Uwe Boll, Vern Troyer, sexy, gorgeous women. We're about to add another layer to this. 
which is that bird flu is part of this film. Yeah, after after COVID nineteen, it doesn't feel quite so no, bad. The, but it's... the Taliban's plan is to hide vials of bird flu in these crotchy dolls, ship them out across America, where all the young children of America will hug their penis shaped toys. Yep. And break the vials and catch bird flu, therefore wiping out all the children of America. Yes. Then we get to the bit where our cult friends are now hiding in a panic room. Yep. Like a bunker type thing. Now the death doesn't happen yet, so don't mention no, that no. just yet. At which point, Chris Coppola, who is obviously the second in command of the cult, Nick Cage Jr. Nick Cage's brother, <laughs> freaks the fudge out. Yep. A few days ago, a few weeks ago, we watched Scream, didn't we? Yes. And we both commented on how over-the-top Matthew Lillard is when he's like, but wait, there's more! Yeah, but it kind of works with his character. It did. So, one, that made sense. But two, this piece of overacting here makes that look like a fine, subtle Shakespearean performance. Oh, it absolutely does. So, so... Yeah, what's his name? Coppola uh, reveals that he wanted to explore the use of bird flu across the world. He wants to cause the apocalypse. That's it, Um, because that's what's written in the cult Bible that Mm. was written by the uncle. So he then threatens to kill the uncle. Yeah, but first he snogs him. Because he's so he. Oh no! So before we got that, they throw. um, He says that in order to make the occult happen, Vern Troyer has to die. Vern Troyer has to die, and he has to be ripped apart by monkeys. No, no, he literally says he has to be raped. Oh, by, 12, by a thousand by monkeys. A thousand monkeys. So he puts him in a safe, like this big lock-up door. Full of CGI full of chimps. CGI chimps, and he gets raped. And I think that's it, the last appearance of Vernon It Troyer. is, yeah. It, the last appearance of this, you know, quite well-known actor who, you know, plays he's dead now, rest in peace. He plays Mini-Me in, uh, Austin, in Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. if anyone didn't know him by Is now. him getting raped by the cast of the PG Tips advert? But CGI. But CGI. Um, so he does all that. So his his justification for saying he can kill the leader is because the leader's like, whoa, whoa, I'm I'm the embodiment of God. And he's like, to be fair, it is Uva making kind of a point, which is most religions can read between the lines of their scripture. Sure. We, and his interpretation is that the uncle isn't God himself. He is just the pawn God has chosen. Right. And therefore, he's expendable, and another pawn can be chosen. Would you like to read this bit, Jamie? Yes, because because you don't want to get sued. No. And, uh, I I don't mind ruining my career by reading out controversial things. Yep, you do that. Um, <laughs> and, and risking my job, by the way. <laughs> yes. So I don't have a job, so I could Co- risk it, but I can't be. Bothered. Coppola does this huge speech, you know, typical crazy villain speech about yep. how he's justified to cause the end of the world. And he grabs hold of this uncle character and snogs him. And that makes sense. We're like, yeah, this guy clearly was, like, gay for this uncle. That was clear from the beginning. Uh, After hearing him take a shit and not wipe, I don't know how you would be. The fact he didn't leave the room tells you he's in love with him. I suppose. Because no other one... Unless you were in love with him, you wouldn't stay there. Um, But the the uncle starts to kiss him back. This is the same uncle who's had, like, three orgies at this point in the film. At least three orgies. Um, He starts snogging him back. And as he pulls away, the guy suddenly comes to this realisation. The uncle. He's gay. He's been gay the entire time and he's, and, he's, and he's like i'm so happy that i finally realized and i'm a chubby chaser too who who knew it i'm so happy to start my new life and then coppola pulls out a gun 
blows him away. Yeah. He drops to the floor, blood pumping out of his chest, and one of his blonde bimbos uh, drops to her knees and is like, oh my god, oh my god. He casually reaches in to feel her breast. Through the, under the bra. Under the bra. Like actual full. You know, and he's sort of like, let, let me just see. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Huh. Guess I'm bi. Dies. <laughs> That's you know what the sad thing is. is that's LGBT- probably that's one of the least offensive jokes in this film. I know, but do you think the LGBT community are really going to be chuffed? Like, I, can, I can imagine the upset that that would cause. Like, a guy who has done nothing but straight stuff suddenly has one kiss, goes, "Oh, I'm I'm gay," yeah, and, and gets I blown like to, away. I like to fudge big boys, and then decides he's bi just by sexually molesting a girl who happens to be Russian to aid. Yeah, um, it's. It's not a good look, and considering that that whole thing is meant to be, the joke is lol gay. Yeah. In order to escape, the lead guy is like trapped in this room mm. by uh, Nick Cage's by brother. Copper. Yep, and he has to blow the door open in order to get out. After he blows the door open with an explosive, <laughs> he's lost one sleeve. He blows one sleeve off of his shirt. Just one sleeve of a short oh. sleeve T-shirt as well. Yeah. I might add. It's, and it's not singed; it's like cut off. Yeah, like completely cleanly cut off. But the other sleeve is fine. And he um, convinces the... Uh... Oh, wait, yes, yeah, so... Oh, here we go, yeah, yeah. So, essentially, what's happened is Coppola has told the girls who are part of the cult and were slit in the harem with the uncle that in order for them to sort of get to heaven, they need to ensure... I think it's ensure that... Wait for him to come back. Wait for him to come back. And then eat poison, poison brownies. brownies. Now, this line is genius. I'm going to read this one. Go ahead. Uh, and I think this line might also be a, pot- a potential to go into the worst lines of all time. Um, I don't know. This, I think this might be the best joke in the film. Well, it's clearly but the best joke in the film. You, you have to read it in that blonde bimbo voice. Yeah. We're supposed to wait for Richard to get back with the truck. And then we eat the poison brownies and ascend into Godhead. Star couldn't wait. She was on a cleanse. And pan down and to the star... Dead. dead which who knew her name was star until that point no one had a name at this uh, point is laying dead on the floor yeah just um, dead she's just dead because she ate poison brownies because she was on a cleanse oh god the girls decide to join the lead guy in actually kicking some ass and stopping the cult and everything from happening and as they're doing this shootout there's a line and this is a quote so please don't be angry with me if you're angry with anyone be angry with uve bowl now, this is a storyline that never came up prior or after. One of the blonde ones shoots one of the Taliban, does a really good shot, and one of the other ones turns to her and says, you've been faking being retarded, haven't you? And the blonde girl nods and goes, yeah. And you're like, when was this? Yeah. When was she retarded? I don't know. You can't, A, you can't use that word. And B, like, she wasn't. She, well, no more so than the other of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that was her acting handicapped... It really didn't show. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, just, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. Because um, these, these uh, you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> these four women are in this film to be eye candy. They aren't characters. Are no, they? no, they're Let's be honest. They're not. They're, they're not well-rounded individuals. No. <laughs> Is this now the bit where suddenly they decide that the main character is irresistible? Yes. I mean, we're getting onto the end game now. We're get, we're, we're rolling in towards the end. So. After that, there's something I want to bring up. It doesn't actually mean anything to the story, but at some point, Osama bin Laden is nicknamed Sammy. Yes. Someone calls him Sammy. Yeah. And then there's a line from someone who... I can't remember who it was. I didn't write down who it was. And uh, again, please, this is not my line. This is from Uwe Boll's script and read verbatim in the film. Someone says... Freaking Arabs. 
Go back to Mecca and run around your big black box. Yeah, I forgot about that line. How is that allowed? America is fine with racism against Arabs, apparently. I mean, I, I don't even want to add that into the worst lines of all time because it's it's just offensive. Yeah, that's not funny bad. That's, that's just, just offensive. Bad. And, like, this is the point, is if you're going to enjoy this movie, yeah. if you can enjoy this movie, maybe you need to check yourself and, out. And we should, we should point out, because you're probably wondering, quite rightly at this point, why would Arabic actors agree to be subjected to this kind of treatment? Well, I'm glad well, you asked. So, according to... Now, this isn't our to thing. Uwe himself. Uwe Boll, in the DVD commentary, about 90% of the actors playing the Taliban are actually Jewish. In blackface. And, yeah, so the guy who plays Osama bin Laden is actually in darkface. It's not black. It's not black, blackface. They've, like, darkened They've darkened skin his skin up. up. We've looked at photos of the actor, and he is, you know, relatively Caucasian-looking. Even though he's obviously Jewish heritage, not Caucasian. But, yeah, he's quite pale in terms of his skin tone he's not very pale but he's quite pale they've darkened this compared to this where they've darkened him up with some sort of face paint or some something bronzer or something yeah like that. and it's very clear to me from looking at his well you, you from his real surname and stuff like that on imdb he is one of the jewish actors mm. now knowing the history between places like israel and the rest of the middle palestine. east and palestine and it I'm doesn't not, seem I'm like not, a smart decision, does it? It doesn't seem like a very, yeah, not a very clever move. It, it, I mean, let's be honest, this isn't a new thing with Palestine and Israel. This has been going on since the early 1900s, since at least the end of the Second World War, if not at the end of the First. Yeah. So there's, this is not a new problem, and it's not something that he goes, oh, I could not have oh, seen this happening. No, this is a, a historic problem. Yeah. And the fact that he thought that that was a cool idea and a cool selling point that it was smart to cast Jewish people as Taliban yeah. terrorists. Very odd. Maybe he cast them because he knew that people who were actually of I don't Arabic, say Muslim, descent. Arabic descent would find this quite offensive. Of course. They um, would. And certainly wouldn't play it as straight. Oh, I'm an Arab. Thus I'm evil as he has them portrayed in this film. There is another line. So there's a big speech by the lead guy at some point. Uh, this a, right at the end? Yeah. So basically, let's skip forward a bit here. Yeah. Uh, the, we're in the end game now, as Rory said. Yep. Uh, you get a nice little sequence where one of the countless blonde bimbos decides to... Is it offensive to say blonde bimbo? No. That's clearly like, that's what they're written as. They're that stereotype. They, they are the stereotype. Um, that's a stere that's a, like a, a character stereotype, yeah. not a, like a racial or... No. Uh, she suddenly, so she suddenly finds the main character, who, by the way, is the guy in the bathtub from Freddy vs. Jason. I don't know the actor's name, unfortunately. She suddenly finds him irresistible and starts snogging him, at which point he snogs her for a bit, then pulls her off, and she goes, oh, oh, what's wrong? Don't you want to do this or something like that? Yeah. To which she goes, no, I just want to give Karen a turn. Yeah, which is and the And then the other girl climbs on top. And then we get a cut to black two minutes later. And he's fully clothed, smoking a cigarette, opens the boot of the trunk yeah. to get the guns. Uh, someone popped his load a bit early. Yep. Um, and this is it now. So he hooks up with... We haven't mentioned there's actually this character, a female character who's a coffee seller. She comes in a little bit late. Oh, no, she she's been in before yeah, yeah. this, yeah. So basically, he keeps crossing paths with her throughout the film. Yeah. And there's a bit of an attraction there. She's a great actress. She's from the series Glow on she's, Netflix, yep. which I highly recommend. And she's got this pseudo goth outfit on, which is hot. Yeah. Um, 
and they kind of meet up one last time and decide they're going to go for this epic final shootout together. Yeah. While he's trying to, he's put a bomb outside of his trailer, which the two cops are shagging his wife in. Yeah, and this tra- mate, this trailer looks like it is about to tip over. It's like the it's, final. It's going act- crazy. Isn't it's it? like the final act of the Titanic. <laughs> it's on its bloody side. Yeah, I'm like, geez, you know what? I know she's cheating on him, but fair play to this woman. Like she is. Getting hers. Well, okay. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird a two, way to go. These but... are two, well, you know, yeah. it, it, it's quite a body positive thing because, you know, society's of, often quite nasty to I don't think women. it's. A, well, no, I know. I'm, I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying to be funny. Okay. I was going to say, you know, being called the bitch yeah, probably doesn't but too but Society usually is quite nasty to larger women and it's like, oh, they can't get men because they're ugly. This woman, these two police officers are both studs, let's be honest. Sure. And they are taking her to down. Well, and she's loving it. I wouldn't give Uvo Ball too much credit. This is the same man that directed a film called Blobberella, which is a, a, a spoof Jinky's on. Jinky's got a fat fetish. Possibly. Possibly. Because he's one of those guys but... who looks like pork a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he? yeah. And he I looks th- like pork. <laughs> I like don't know physical, what you mean by that. Like a physical. Like if a pork chop had <laughs> eyes and a mouth and could talk, <laughs> it would be Uvo Ball. Okay, yes. Just because I want to slag off Uwe Boll for this abomination, yes, he looks like pork. He looks... <laughs> I will call him a loin. It's fine. I just... <laughs> Mate. So after he plants the bomb, suddenly the Taliban, the local neighbourhood watch that are now after postal guy, and the cult all turn up. It all comes down to one big battle. Yeah, he, there's a bit of a shootout, and then he suddenly stops, goes, "Hang on, I've got a bomb," and he tries to make this impassioned speech that, "Hey, look, we're all humans it's really, together." Yeah, it's really generic. It's, it's been you've seen it a billion yeah. times in films. It doesn't, you know, you yeah. can either have guns. Or you could have hugs. Yeah. So let's have hugs. So he tries this, and then, but during, before the speech, because the speech obviously goes wrong, because that's the fun, that's the comedy of it. But before it goes wrong, he's like, well, we could all be, you know, we're all together. Uh, Coppola says, well, we all hate Jews. And everyone around nods. He's like, yes, yes, we do. And he's like, no, 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 not hating Jews. No, I mean, what I mean is like love, actual love for everyone, like all inclusive. But that just seemed, considering everything else that's in this film, there seems to be an awful lot of lol Jews. You you can't throughout this ooh, whole ooh, film. Uber, let me give you some advice, Uber. Not that you're listening to this because you will have turned this off because you have a fragile ego and can't stand being insulted. Absolutely. Um, as evidenced by your famous Raging Ball incident. We will we'll have get to, to watch that, that documentary point. at some point. Um, word of advice, Uva. You cannot, in the same film, make two allusions to you being a Nazi and then make a joke about hating Jews. Can't do it. Cannot do it, Uva. That's, yeah. Yeah. And then go, well, actually, I'm very positive because I cast 90% of my Taliban as Jewish actors. Oh. That's like it, it, it's such a weird mishmash of. I think he must be the most blind white man I've ever seen in my life. Like I've seen people out there who go, I don't understand why I can't say the n word. They say the n word, things like that, and you're like, dude, you're just being an idiot. You're being obtuse on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with this, it literally, it he must just be doing that on a mass scale yeah. because it, I can't see how you could be this blind and still be able to walk. To your fucking corner shop of an evening. The man's an idiot. He's an absolute melt. So, <laughs> so they, melt. so yeah. So it, he teams up with the hot goth cafe chick, goes to blow up the trailer, does this whole thing with the neighborhood wash, uh, and then they manage to escape. There's a line I, I didn't write the reference, but someone has this line: "Don't be a dick, dick." 
Oh, that's like his big final line before he triggers, before he shoots someone. Oh, it? that was it, yeah. Which before is, he shoots Coppola. Which is one of the D- worst lines yeah. I've seen. Gun, uh, Matt, you can picture it, guys. Guns pointed at the camera. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Dick. And it, it's not cool. And you know what's interesting is earlier today, just to break some continuity for the audience, we watched They Live for your podcast, Jamie, mm. your film today sucks. And there's that... Well, inf- thank you. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> I didn't come here to be insulted. <laughs> well, why do you normally go? There's... <laughs> <laughs> but we, um, yeah, we, so there was a line in that film, a classic line, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick some ass and I'm all out of gum, right? Mm. Genius line. Then you've got "Don't be a dick, dick," and you're like, "Where did it all go wrong?" This is twenty years later. Surely wit should have improved <laughs> over the time, not gotten worse. Um, and then there's the infamous "I wish I could quit you" line from Osama to George, George Bush. George W. Bush to Dobia. Yep. And as the hero tries to dr- uh, drives away, he listens to the news, and Bush blames right. China and India. Right. Right. Let's let's just cross something off it. May- maybe let's give Uva some co- credit for a minute. Do we may- have may- to? Maybe this is him making a joke about how dumb W. Bush was. Oh, he makes several of those jokes. Because W. Bush accuses China and India yep. of being responsible for the Taliban. Uh, well, you know, specifically the carnage in Paradise City. Yeah, but yeah. Taliban, which is famously well known to be involved in Afghanistan. Yeah. And he blames India and China. But it's not just that he goes, I'm going to blame India and China, because that in itself might be a joke. It's, it's the fact that he says, like, he blames India and China for the carnage and orders a nuclear strike on both of them. Wipes them ca- out. And then counts down that there's, there's t- in two minutes, both countries will be wiped off the map. Yeah, so he says we've nuked both of them, but the Chinese managed to let off some of their nukes before we wiped them out. Oh, that was and it. And they're going to land in two minutes. minutes. And that's it. You you end with a two-minute warning. No, you don't end with a two-minute warning. You end with Osama and Bush skipping through a field of wheat together, hand in hand. Oh, Theresa May. <laughs> yep, as the nukes go off in the distance and eventually on top of them. Oh, my God. So then you have the credit sequences. So we've now finished out the film... That's the story of the film. Now, the credit sequences has a slight variation of the opening of the Little Germany scene, where the black cop explains how you met Harry the Disabled Guy. We've yep. already gone over that. Yep. Uh, we did the Watchtower joke as well. That's it, we did the Watchtower joke, so there's one more. Uh, and I thought you might want to read this one, actually. Oh, this is the old guy. It's the old guy, and it's his, it's his joke... Now, see, I tr- can I just... Um, I want to be clear, this one, like the mayonnaise one, was at least somewhat funny. Yeah. Because it was so absurd. This is this just awful. funny. This is just awful. A guy, they're just like reminiscing, these two old guys, yeah. and one turns to the other and goes, you know, I knew this girl once who uh, was pretty dumb. Girl thought that sperm was medicine. She sucked a lot of cock. She put sperm in a kid's bottles to build up their immune system. They all got AIDS. Do you think he was gay? Do you think she was gay? Maybe he was gay, wouldn't it? No, no, do you think she... The guy who's cock she saw. I think it was, do you think she was gay? Oh, okay. Well, either way, the joke makes no fucking sense. It's just offensive. Um, And and it's um, it's paedophilic. It's really sick. She's putting jizz in the children's bottles. Yeah. We might get flagged by an by an algorithm for this. We might get knocks on the door from the police, being like, "Hello, hello." To be hello. fair, we can give them postal and go enjoy yourself, officer. Yes, <laughs> fuck off. My God, it's such. A, well, you know what, Rory? Film is a subjective thing. This is not subjective. So, so this is objectively so, bad. No, so my friend, I thought that because I knew we both hated this. 
I thought we needed to bring some balance to this podcast. So I have found, on good old IMDB, a user who has rated this movie 8 out of 10 stars. Okay, before you read that, I wish to just explain... Someone who, like, there's four people that were approached for this movie and wanted no involvement in it. Oh, okay, I didn't know this. Go ahead. Rob Schneider, Jamie Kennedy, David Cross, and Sarah Silverman. Now, when all four of those say no to your film, it's a bad I mean, Rob Schneider film. will do anything. It's an infamous joke in he's, Hollywood. He's Juice Bigelow, European gigolo. Rob Schneider is a carrot. It's a joke from South Park, but it's so true. He will be in anything, and he turned this down. Mm. Fuck me! You couldn't book Rob Schneider? Or Jamie Kennedy. This is a post-Scream Jamie Kennedy after his career had fallen apart. Oh. This might be a post-Son of the Mask Jamie Kennedy. I think it might be. Yeah, no, it is 2007. Son of the Mask was early 2000s. So this is post-Son of the yeah, Mask. Yeah, because I don't think it was t- I think it was only about 10 years after the first Mask. Because his career was in the toilet once he did and Son of the Mask. And, I mean, he still wouldn't touch this with a barge pole. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, sorry. So this 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 third this reviewer, fine, fine, intelligent person who has not included then. Oh, they have. This is Carl Self. Oh God. Uh, on the sixteenth of February two thousand and nine. So it's more much more recent now. Is wrote wrote a review for Postal in which he gave it eight out of ten stars with the heading Uve Ball, comma rock and roll. Oh no! Here no. we go, and we'll tear this apart as we go. You Can ready? Can I hide behind the curtain again? No, no, I need you to criticise this as we go. Okay. It's become a fad to knock Uve Ball. Uh, yes, yes, it has <laughs> because he's terrible. Well, folks, his business is to movialize. Okay, that's a real word. Equals neologism. I just created to turn into a movie. Okay. So this this arrogant prick is here just creating words. He's got his own dictionary, bruv. His <laughs> business is to movialize video games. Okay. Don't come running to me to complain about a lack of intellectual depth or cinematic innovation. I mean, no one's running um, to you, Carl Self, to ask about movies. No one is running to you. Also, games can be intellectual. Get me Carl deep. Self on the phone. I need Carl Self. We need to figure out if the new Alien film's going to work. Get me Carl G- Self. Games can be quite intellectual. Have you played Bioshock? Have you played Portal? The Last of Us? That poses eco- yeah. uh, uh, ethic conundrums. Anyway, <laughs> Ball, Ball is more or less a producer who also writes and directs his projects. So he's a writer and director. <laughs> and if he's not exactly a great raconteur, you have to admit that he usually wrangles up a lot of surprisingly good actors. Is this a man who just found the thesaurus? I don't I, believe he knows I raconteur. Think, I think them. this is Uwe Ball. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> it probably is. Um, right. So wrangles up surprisingly good actors. Self is his name. Yeah, surprisingly good actors, great special effects. Oh, they were phenomenal. And stunning cinematography on a budget that wouldn't fuck Tom Cruise's laundry bill. Okay, but right, let's the cinema- talk about cinematography. On, yeah. So the lighting is incredibly orange heavy. In fact, it's almost solely lit in orange. Did you notice that in nearly all the outdoor scenes, the sky is blown out to shit? Yeah, because they because it's overexposed. Exposed. It's overexposed and he's lit them all in orange. Everywhere. Doesn't matter where you are, what scene you're in, everyone is orange. But <laughs> this review's funnier than I thought. 
Oh, that doesn't bode God, well. here we go. Keep going. But in Postal, Bolt also manages to somehow come up with a brilliant script, and he, open brackets, finally... Finally, we've all been waiting for you, Bol. Excels himself as a director. I mean, to be honest, excelling himself as a director would be flushing his own head down the toilet. This is his pièce de résistance, a hilarious, trashy comedy that comes across like Quentin Tarantino on Crystal Meth. Does you it? know what? I'm going to make a, a racial joke here. No. No, I'm going to do it. No. Do not... To a man who is admitted to being a Nazi, basically... Don't quote French. We know what Germans do to the French. <laughs> they invade. <laughs> well, maybe I wasn't that funny. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's not that offensive either because a, it's not that offensive, and b, they're French. Oh god, here There's... we go. Are you ready for this? <laughs> remember what we described the first scene to you as audience. Oh, remember, god, no. Remember? Just the first scene is comedic gold. 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 It's not Always even just a movie. Believe in your soul. Oh. <laughs> Zach Ward. Oh, Zach Ward plays the the dude. Yes, that's it. Postal, his name was Zach something. But Postal's main guy. Postal's main guy, Zach Ward, playing the postal dude, is a real discovery. He's America's answer <laughs> to Simon Pegg, <laughs> and that's a huge compliment, folks. Because he's ginger. This is an insult to Simon Pegg. This is an insult to Simon Pegg. Fuck off with that comparison. Simon Pegg is in, in so much better than this film. If Simon Pegg was in this film, he would no longer have been cast in anything. No. He certainly wouldn't be in the Star Trek like films or anything like that. It would have been death knell. The fact that Zach Ward, the great protege, has not been in anything substantial, probably because of Postal. Yep. Oh. Many of the other actors are equally C-list, but great, such as well, like Capola, such as Dave Foley, Chris Spencer, or the dude playing the fat Southern religious freak. So Capola. Capola. Speaking of actors, the Arab guys. Oh God! <laughs> oh no! Oh, I'm no. sorry. I just peeked the mic. Speak. No. <laughs> We're nearly at the end. Oh, this guy is so cool. Spe- <laughs> Speaking I'm of- hiding behind the curtain again. Speaking of actors, the Arab guys seem to have been played by mostly non-Arabs. That's a shame, because the movie does a great job of satirising the usual depiction of Arabs in movies. In other movies, they're all evil fanatics, except the one-level-headed guy who has scruples. Here, they're all evil, in in big letters. I I bet the Arabs will be very happy with that distinction. And packing H&K G36ers. Does it... I'm not going to write... You can tell he's one of those fucking pro-gun, not American... I was just about to say, I'm not saying that Carl Self is an incel, but usually knowing the exact make and model of guns in a movie... Well, H&K is, is Hecker and Cock. I is, know I shouldn't know that, but I know it only because... I'm an English guy, I don't own guns. The reason I know it is because I looked up... Uh, like th- There was information about weapon types from Perfect Dark, mm. and there's some that re- yeah. relate to Hecker and Cock in style. So, but, but he knows which model it is, G36, oh, right? fuck me. That is usually, not always... But it's usually a sign of an incel. Has anyone checked on their local school? Can I ask? Yeah, I know. Also, can I ask? 
he thinks that the Arabs would be happy with the way that well, they're projecting this listen because to this they next use sentence. Heckler and Cox. Listen to this next sentence. I think it will appeal greatly to Arabs with a sense of humour. Well, you need to have a sense of humour. No, again, this might be an offensive joke on my part, but not really noted for their sense of humour. Arabic people. Well, not if you're moshing on their religion and calling them all terrorists. Exactly. I mean, to be fair, let's put it this way, right? I'm sure most would find this less offensive if there was even one positive Muslim character in the film. Yeah. They're all knobends. They're all either... They're all terrorists. Yeah, they're all terrorists. They're all evil. They're all played by Jewish people as well, which doesn't help. But there's there's literally, there's no like, this is just how the Taliban are. It's literally, here are the Muslims. This next paragraph, which I'm going to ask you to let me read in full without reacting. This is the greatest paragraph anyone has ever ended a review with. I might hate you after this. In a nutshell... Forget what you may have heard about B-movie wild child Uwe Boll. If you like chaotic, far-out comedy, then this one will be for you. And I hereby declare that I am neither Uwe Boll nor in any way affiliated with him. Well, that proves that that's Uwe Boll. Then, <laughs> this is it? totally Uwe it's Boll. It's totally Uwe Boll. Oh, Uwe. It's you know what? Peace, Uwe. Peace. Because you know what? We're filmmakers ourselves. And you know what? You did what we could never do. You, you know, exploited those tax loopholes and you made those movies, and baby. And you got away with being very out and out racist. We're, we're, the, we're the schmucks who are still footing the bill for our own movies you know trying to do it the the honest way and look where that's gotten us no one knows who we are we're just two fat guys on the internet but you're a fat guy who makes films you're yeah who and who invites journalists to punch them in the face that was the greatest review i've ever read in my life that is the oh it's insane Okay, so we need to wrap this up. This is going to be an overly long episode. But doesn't it matter. It's it. worth it. It it's needs it for because I think people need to understand just how shit this film is. They need to know. There's, this so, is this isn't just it's crap because it's Uwe Boll. No, this is this has got to be the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> the barrel, the barrel. <laughs> so there's one interesting question that we need to ask, which I think might be where we disagree. Because here's the thing. I do think that if you had a bunch of your film snob friends around and you all got very, very, very drunk, I think you could have a good time tearing this to shit. So I would recommend it in that sense. I don't think you could get away with it. And I'll tell you for why. A lot of people in the film world, and not necessarily us, obviously we've watched this hunk of shite, but a lot of people in the film world are very progressive. And I'm not saying that as a negative, yeah, but yeah. you have to be aware that... find it too offensive. I think the fact that there is so much anti-Muslim sentiment, so much anti-Jewish sentiment, so much yay lol Nazis, and, every, and like, lol 9-11, I think all yeah. of that stuff, I think, to be quite frank, like, you'd have, you'd have to know these film friends and know that they are into quite edgy banter with you yeah. in order to do that. If we were to tell our film friends... That like just in general, just people that we've worked with or people that we know that we don't know as like close mates. Yeah. To like you know, oh, I'm getting drunk. Hey, come and watch Postal. It'll be a laugh. As soon as that 9/11 stuff hits, you see their face change. Yeah. By that point, even if you turned it off, you've already lost their respect. In fact, if you turn it off, you probably lost more respect because they think you've got something else to hide in the film. Yeah. So I think it might be a loss on a loss. You'd have to be paralytically drunk. 
<laughs> no, I think you would have to be very... You'd, in order to enjoy this with friends, even just to rip on it... Definitely from Mansfield. <laughs> you'd have to vet your friends. Yeah. That's not... Like, something... So, we... When we talked in the first episode about Super Mario Brothers the movie, and I asked if you would recommend it, you said no. I said I'd only recommend it to my film friends. Yeah. And I'd recommend it to my film friends because it's a perfect example of a film that was such a car crash that it's almost like a... I would say it's it's a parable almost, like a, a tale. It's, you watch it to see how a studio can screw mm. up your movie so yeah. that you can avoid it as a cautionary tale is what I mean. Yeah. With Postal, you could do it as that, but I don't oh. think it would work. I would watch Super Mario Brothers movie with friends of mine who are mm. not particularly au fait with, going, mate, let's just rip this apart and have a laugh. Mm. At least it's a safe laugh. Yeah, no one's going to get offended. Yeah, and even even the most offensive potential bit, which is the 9-11 towers, the Twin Towers, being dissolved by Cooper when the things merge, it happened in 93. So you go, well, this is a film from 93, that scene is, you know, that was exactly the time. This is after it was done. This is not like that. This You you immediately, and that's that's something that happens later in the film as well, so they're already in the world. If they're going to watch it, they've already established themselves watching it at that point. With Postal, the first joke is, (laughs) imagine if Guy died... Washing windows of nine eleven. Yeah, those people have to be very specific. Yeah, it's shit because like, so the film is garbage. I want to be fully clear on this. The film is garbage. There is nothing salvageable. But in this I, film. I have had so much fun tonight ripping, ripping into it with you. I'll be honest. It's I've never cringed so harder. I didn't. Like, so several of these films I've seen before. Mm. Some of them you've seen before. But honestly, this one I n- hadn't seen it mm. before we watched it. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one, and it was. I knew it was going to be cringy because it's Uwe Boll. Yeah. I didn't realise it could be this bad. And yeah. you said the same. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realise he could sink this slow. No, I mean, it was like he found the bottom of the barrel and kept on digging through terra firma and into the gates of hell. Mm. He just didn't stop digging. Yeah. Even to the end. Even once the credits rolled. He does the blooming Auschwitz joke. My father died in Auschwitz. He does the, the, the sperm of the kids and the AIDS. And the story about the disabled guy in the wheelchair. All after the credits roll. Yeah. Like, there's literally no space where he just goes and let it breathe. Yeah. It's, I, uh, no, I couldn't recommend this. I, in fact, I would anti-recommend it. If yeah. you are an edgelord and you want to go and shoot up your local school, this film is for you. Yeah. It's, a, it's very much an incel movie through and through. And that's not me going, oh, I'm offended because I watched the whole bloody thing. It's just shit. Yeah. And I know that type of humour. I used to work in sales. This is what people in sales find funny because, oh, lol, it's edgy. Yeah. I know. I was there. So, and you were there when you were in Mansfield. Not necessarily in yeah. a sales environment, but there are times when you're a teenager or something and it's just like, you break the rules and it makes it seem fun. When you realise it's a 40-year-old plus man, it's not funny. And it's not done with tact. It's not done smart. I would never recommend this film. Yeah. I would recommend people avoid this film, like The Plague. Yourself? Um, well, you have made some good points, because like I said, I I was looking at it from a point of view of, I've had a lot of fun tonight. You and I have had a lot of fun watching into this. this. Yes. Um, the film is utter trash, but I actually think you're right. You've raised some good points about, for some people, this wouldn't be a fun thing to take the mick out of. I actually think for most this would people just be offensive i think you and um, i have a similar I, sense of humor yeah and i do come from like 
most of my friends have a similar sense of humour. Sure. My, my sense of humour has been warped by years of, well, you know, knowing a lot of people who were very edgy when I was younger, and then the fact that I'm into so much dark humour. Yeah, um, so I, I did that in sales as well. Yeah, because so, yeah, I've, I've had a, I had a lot of fun like reading that review and things like that. But actually, yeah, you're you're right. This is not really an acceptable movie, especially now. Yeah. If you want, if you want a cringy time, if you've got a friend like me and Jamie having each other, where you think you can watch anything and just be like, like even if it's as bad as this, you just like cringe together and have fun at the fact that you both understand that this is awful, and you just take it for what it is. Do that, but that's yeah. such a small margin, and you're going to have to be very careful. You got it's, it, it, yeah, you have to be so careful yeah. because this is so bad. I, I didn't honestly think that anything would be this bad. I want to know why J.K. Simmons was in this film. <sighs> well, let's let's put the final note on that. When it comes to casting, Uwe Boll stated that, according to Uwe Boll's audio commentary, no big agencies wanted their stars in this movie. Mm. The cast all auditioned against their agents' wishes. Of course. So J.K. Simmons just went bollocks to you, I'm doing my own thing. This was a time, my friends, when agencies know better. Yeah. Unfortunately for Jules... Not Jules Verne. (laughs) Jules Verne Troyer. (laughs) Jules Verne Troyer. Jules Verne Troyer. (laughs) And J.K. Simmons would have been well thought to... Stay out of it. Yeah, and stick around doing what they did with their agents. Oh, well. Anyway, so that was that episode. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments. Let us know if you're interested in this episode or if, you know, and we apologise for anything. We did give you a trigger warning at the beginning as to anything offensive, but this film, we can't avoid it if we're going to tell you about this film. If you wish to follow us, please do. Like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz. And you can catch us on Podbean. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts or Apple Music. You can catch us on Google Podcasts. You can catch us on Amazon Music and various other places. And obviously, just follow us all on Facebook or on Twitter. I'm on Cyberpunk Studios, which is at Cyberpunk Film on both Facebook and Twitter. And Jamie? Uh, on Facebook, I'm at Impala Revolution. And on Twitter, I do believe I'm at Jamie by Design. Ooh, aren't you just? Mm. <laughs> Maybe I'm by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodbye, people. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>